Father, we're thankful today that we can all be saved by your grace. There are many people in this room today, we have been saved by your grace, and we give you praise for that, and we've worshiped you today because of that. And Father, there may be those in this room today who need to experience that salvation by your grace, and we pray as we continue to worship through the study of your word that your Holy Spirit would draw all of us closer to yourself and whatever next step we need to take in our relationship with you. I pray we would take that step today. In Jesus' good name I ask it. Amen. And amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open it up, or if you use an app, open that app, and we're going to get to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And I want to share a message with you this morning that I've simply titled, Three, Two, One, just to impress you that I can count. That's the whole purpose of me titling that sermon the way it was this morning. We have been in this book of Acts for some four and a half months. Twenty, yeah, somebody just went, shh, I heard that. Uh, Twenty weeks, and I know a couple may be thinking, well, if, if they're sent, when are they going to get there? Uh, <laughs> chapter 27 is about when they'll get there. But we are, we're going to take a break. We're going to push pause in a few weeks when we get to Thanksgiving, Christmas, and, and then we'll pick back up in the book of Acts sometime shortly after the first of next year, if uh, the Lord gives us that time. If the Lord decides to come back before them, I'm okay with not finishing the series, to be quite honest with you. I'll be just fine with that. But uh, we come today to Acts chapter 13, a, a very pivotal chapter in this book. Um, let me ask you a question. You ain't got to answer out loud, but just kind of, do you consider yourself to have a, a PhD in pyrotechnics? Firework. I mean, when you go to the fireworks stand, does the owner smile when he sees you coming? You know, so, some of you really like to blow stuff up, to to have some fireworks lift off. And, and you know what it's like to maybe to go and to, to buy those fireworks and it's, you're about to celebrate the new year, you're about to celebrate the 4th of July, you're going to let freedom ring or do something with them. And, and you get ready and you light the fuse and you've got anticipation and you even kind of know, uh, know the timing of it. You, you've got it figured out as to how long you have between the time you light that fuse and the time that firework explodes. And in your mind, you even count it down. You, you light the fuse and you go three. In your mind, you get to two and one, and you're anticipating this, this glorious show that you're going to impress all your neighbors and, and wake up your pastor if you live in his neighborhood and, and send all the dogs and everything and everything crazy. And, and sometimes that works, but sometimes you get that anticipation and you have in your pack what they call a dud. You know what I'm talking about? Look, y'all are acting like you're the one who's got to go to an association meeting this afternoon. I'm the one who has to do that. Come on, get with me. You know, you know what that dud experience is like? You've got all the anticipation building up, and then nothing happens. Well, as we get to Acts chapter 13... What we're going to see is that there's been a lot of anticipation that's been building up in these first 12 chapters. And in Acts chapter 13, the countdown is on. They're counting down three, two, one. It is time to blast off. It is time to launch out with the gospel. But you see, what's happened so far in the book of Acts is that the church, the gospel has spread through the church rather reactively. That is, something has happened and the church in reaction 
reacting to what has happened has carried the gospel elsewhere. For example, when Stephen is martyred back in Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, the, the, the church in Jerusalem was targeted right after that. And the church, as a result of that targeting, as a result of that persecution, the church members fled. They left, but they didn't go quietly. They took the gospel with them. And so, yes, everything through these first 12 chapters, the gospel has spread in a reactive way. In Acts chapter 13, the church is about to get proactive. The church is about to intentionally set apart a couple of men and send them off, launch them out. They're counting down to launch them to carry the gospel to the end of the earth. Let's read Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The first time the gospel has left the mainland, it's now going across the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, that's John Mark, to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, which is an awesome wrestling name, by the way, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Paul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, that's the same guy, Bar-Jesus, for that is the meaning of his name, Elimus opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, boo yow, he said. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead them by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is a launching pad moment. Just like the, the, the countdown for a launch of a space shuttle, the church in Antioch had gathered and they were counting down to lift off as the gospel leaves the land and sails over to Cyprus. Let me ask you, which of the following scenarios would you say is true when it comes to your calling to fulfill what God has called you to do? You see, God has lit the fuse. God has has given the command. God waits in anticipation, desiring to see his people fulfill the mission that he has given them. We are counting down. Three, two, one. Will you lift off or are you going to be a dud when it comes to doing what God has called you to do? You see, our context 
may be different than that experienced by the believers in Acts chapter 13, but our task is the same. You may not be called to travel to the other side of the world on a mission trip, but I know that God has called you to go across your street to share the gospel with your neighbor. You may never encounter a foreign or an unreached people group, but there are unreached people in your family, your circle of friends, your co-workers, the people that you work and play with around your neighborhood. You, you may not be called to enter the mission field, but you are called to share the gospel with those that God places around you. Imagine if you will, because this is kind of how it takes place behind the scenes, I, I can imagine, that every day of your life, that every day begins with this countdown. Three, two, one. When you wake up, God is anticipating what you will do to extend his glory, to expand his kingdom, what you will do for his name and for his fame. And I just want you to consider when you wake up tomorrow morning, will you lift off for the Lord or will you choose to be a dud? Every day when you wake up, will you be on fire when God lights that spark or will you fizzle? and not do what he's called you to do? That really is the question that I want you to think about this morning, and I want us to use what happens in Acts chapter 13 to help us answer that question in a positive way. Because as I read Acts chapter 13, I want to point out to you three principles from this text that if we will embrace them, it will cause us to lift off and launch for Jesus and the mission he has for our lives. First is this. The first principle I'd share with you is this. There is a calling that demands a decision. There is a calling that demands a decision. There was a definite calling upon the life of Paul and Barnabas to take the gospel from where they were over to this place called Cyprus. And there was also a definite calling upon the church in Antioch where they were at the time for that church to send them. In both instances, this calling demanded a decision. If the gospel is going to lift off and begin to reach the end of the earth in Acts chapter 13, they must decide how they're going to answer this call. Now again, our context is different than that of the church at Antioch. Our context is different than that of Paul and Barnabas, but our calling is similar. Every follower of Jesus has been sent by Jesus into this world, and answering that call demands that you make a decision to be obedient or to be disobedient. When we leave this place, we are sent into the world for one purpose, to proclaim the name and the fame of Jesus. We gather and then we go. This is our calling and that calling demands a decision. Now Paul and Barnabas and the other leaders at this church, they made the right decision. In fact, look at the decision and, 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 and why they made this decision. Their, their decision was based on their commitment to Scripture. 
Did you notice how in verse 1 it tells us that there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers? The Word of God was a priority at this church and among these believers. In fact, of the five prophets slash teachers that are listed, two of them were called to make this specific journey, and the other three commissioned them and remained where they were, but all five of them lived their life on mission for God. Wherever they were, they lived their life for the mission of God because they were committed to Scripture. When you are committed to Scripture, you will make the decision to live sent. Whether that means you're, you go a thousand miles away from your home or ten feet away from your desk. They were committed to Scripture. But their decision was also based on their expectation of the Spirit. That their calling, if you pay attention to what's happening in the text, their calling occurs while they are worshiping and fasting. That's what verse 2 tells us. So when they're, they're gathered together for worship and they are fasting. Fasting occurs when a, when a person seeks direction from the Lord and they, they came together for their Sunday morning worship service with an expectancy that God would speak to them. See the setting. They are gathered. They are worshiping. They're fasting. They are expecting to hear from God. Then the Holy Spirit shows up and gives them a clear word. I wonder this morning what kind of expectations you had when you walked in these doors. Do you expect the Holy Spirit to be here? Do you expect for God to speak to you? Do you expect for the Holy Spirit to challenge you, to convict you, to change you? I got some news for you. If you don't expect him to, guess what? He's probably not going to. If you don't expect him, you'll probably just consider this a wasted hour and a half, two hours of your time, depending on how quiet you are. If you don't expect God to show up, if you don't expect the Holy Spirit to, to speak to your heart, he just might not. Oh, my friend, if you will expect the Holy Spirit, if you will expect God to move, if you will expect God to speak, if you will expect God to pour into your life, you will be amazed at what God will do. And they answered this call because they had an expectation of the Spirit. And they answered this call. They made this decision based upon their willingness to surrender. The call is given to them in verse 2 to set apart Barnabas and Paul. And that's exactly what they do in verse 3. This is really what this question is, is all about. It's a question of surrender. Will you surrender your life? Will you surrender your will to God? Or do you want to hold on to it for yourself? That's really the crux of the issue. And they were able to make the right decision because they had surrendered their will to God. When we surrender our will to God, you know who that mimics? That mimics Jesus who said, not my will, but yours be done. That mimics Jesus who said, I do nothing of my own. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Can that be said of your life? Can that be said of my life? 
when we have that commitment to Scripture, when we have that expectation of the Spirit, when we have this surrender of our will to God, then we make the right decision because this calling demands that decision. The second principle I'll bring to your attention is not just does this calling demand a decision, but there's a message that demands declaration. There's a message, this calling is about declaring a message when they arrive at their destination. Our text tells us very simply, they proclaim the word of God. And they went through the entire island of Paphos faithfully declaring the message of the gospel as they went. Like Paul and like Barnabas, we have been entrusted, please hear me this morning, we have been entrusted with a ministry and with a message that must be declared. To to not declare this message is to fail to do what God has called us to do. You see, one of these messengers, one of these men who went over to Cyprus, the apostle Paul, he reminded us of this responsibility when he wrote a letter to a church that he helped to plant. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God. It is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And it is God who gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or the trespasses against them. And it was God who has, don't miss this, entrusted to us. Who? Who? Us. Who's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we who? We, or us, we, we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God is making his appeal. God is making his appeal to the world. God is appealing to the world to love him, to trust him, to follow him. Through who? Us. We have a message that must be declared. Ah, but pastor, I haven't been through training to do that. I haven't gone to the cemetery they call seminary (laughs) to learn how to do that. Pastor, you know how long it's been since I went through three circles or CWT or all the plethora of evangelism training methods our conventions cranked out in its history. Ah, pastor, give me all the excuses you want to. None of them hold water. And here's why. This message is declaring to others what Jesus has done for you. Therefore, well... I've used this verse before, and I'm going to use it again as we go through Acts. In fact, you'll probably get tired of hearing me tell you about this. I don't care, though. I want it to drill it into our minds and our hearts and our spirits. 
There was a man that Jesus healed one day. He was possessed by numerous demons. And Jesus cast all those demons out. And that man, which stands to reason, was like, man, I want to go on tour with this guy. And he asked you, he said, Lord, <coughs> let me come with you. I'll go wherever you are. I, I want to go with you. Whatever city you go to, I'll be your right-hand man. I'll set up the stage. I'll be your marketer. I'll be your promoter. I will be your manager. I'll be your assistant. I just want to go wherever you're going to go, Jesus. The man, Luke chapter 8, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Jesus sent him away saying, go back to your home and declare there how much God has done for you. I don't be my man. I don't need a manager, Jesus said. I don't need a roadie. I don't need a fan club. Jesus said, I need you to go back to your hometown where people are dying and going to hell, and I need you to tell them what I have done for you. And so he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The message we must declare is what Jesus has done for us. Therefore, if Jesus has ever done anything for you, you have a message to declare. If he's done nothing for you, then sit on your pew, sit in your house, and be quiet. But if he's done something for you, you've got a message to share. You've got a message to declare. Because this Jesus took us out of that pit he got our feet out of that miry clay, and he set us on a rock after he put a brand new song in our mouth. And he's walked with us through the valleys and the mountains, and he's never left us, and he's never forsaken us. And he's done so much for us. And for us to not declare that message is flat out to disobey the one who saved us. We have a message to declare. There is a calling that demands a decision. There's a message that demands a declaration. And the third principle is that there's a truth that demands a defense. There is a truth that demands a defense. Look, the gospel has always been attacked and those who seek to declare the gospel have always been opposed. In every culture, in every context, the truth of the gospel must be defended. You see this happening when Paul meets two men. One man's name is Sergius Paulus. His name just sounds like he should be important, and he was. He was a, a Roman politician He's the head of state in the province of Cyprus. He's an important guy who's kind of a big deal. And then you got this other guy named Bargesus or Elimus. And he was a Jewish false prophet. It mentions magic, but that's not the what card did you do? Is this your card? That's not that kind of magic. The magic he was involved with was dabbling with the occult was dabbling with the demonic. He was dabbling with the dark side of, that opposes the work of God. Paul sees Elimus, or Limus, 
seeking to distort the truth of the gospel, seeking to, to, to turn Sergius Paulus away from the truth, and Paul lays into him with a. How many of you have ever wanted to say to somebody else what Paul said to Bar Jesus? Bar Jesus, man. And he laid into him with a strong, striking rebuke. And he said, stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Paul said, we are trying to lead people down the right path, down the straight and the narrow path of the Lord. And you're trying to confuse the situation by making the plain and straight paths crooked. You're deceiving people. Stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. He's defending the truth of the gospel. You need to know today that the spirit of Elimus is alive and active today. Satan's goal is to keep people from placing their faith in Jesus Christ. And one way he'll try to do that is to distort the truth. His goal also is to keep the people of God who know the truth to not defend that truth. And to not speak that truth. Opposition to the gospel must be expected. If we faithfully declare the message of the gospel, opposition is a given. Do you want to know how you can never be considered to be narrow-minded or a fool by those in our culture? Don't share the message. You want to know the secret to, to never being rejected by our culture? Just don't declare the message. You want to know how you can never be taken advantage of? Just never reach out to people in need with the intent of showing them the gospel in action. Now, my point being is that if you are going to be serious about lifting off of the gospel, if you're going to be serious about being used by God, you're going to be opposed. And maybe that's the reason some of us prefer to sit on our padded pews and our blessed insurance instead of declaring the message. It's because we know that there's opposition. We know that our culture will call us crazy. We know that our culture will call us narrow-minded. But it doesn't matter what our culture says. All that matters is what our Christ says. All that matters is what Jesus says about us. At the end of my life, I will not stand before you. I'll not stand before our culture. I'll not stand before a White House. I'll not stand before an outhouse. (laughs) At the end of my life, I stand before Jesus. And if I've been faithful to Jesus, it doesn't matter what else has happened in my life. We have to be prepared to defend this truth of the gospel. Yeah, let's expect the need to defend this truth, but let's also expect to see the power of God at work because verse 12 tells us that the proconsul Sergius Paulus, he believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished. What was he astonished? Don't miss this. What was he astonished at? He was not astonished at the fact that uh, Bar-Jesus had just been blinded momentarily. That's not what astonished him. What astonished him, according to verse 12, was the teaching of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ, gripped his heart, and he placed his faith in Jesus 
Christ. Yeah, you expect your culture to oppose you, but you expect God to overpower that because I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So you got a choice, and I've got a choice. What am I going to do with my life? God's lit the fuse. God's issued the command. Three, two, one. He expects us to lift off with the message of the gospel. Will you be a firecracker for Jesus? Or are you going to fizzle out and be a dud? There's a lot of things you can do with your life. There's a lot of things we can do as a church. There is one thing we must do, and that is declare this gospel to a world that needs to hear it. Because there'll be people who die today, and they'll spend eternity in hell. There'll be people in your family who you don't spend eternity with. There'll be people with whom you work. There'll be friends of yours who aren't interested in coming to church to listen to a loud, long-winded preacher preach or choir sing. There are people in your circle of influence who don't want to hang around people in this context. That's why we're called to go, not to sit. Will you be the one who lifts off into their life with the message of the gospel? Or maybe God brought you here today and you've never trusted the Jesus of this gospel. The best decision you'll ever make is to make him your Lord and Savior. Because it changes everything, not just in eternity, although that's, that's a good thing. It changes everything here and now. Jesus said it very plainly. He said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come they may have life. And have it more abundantly. If you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, I would beg you. I can't force you, but I would beg you to this morning confess your sin to God. Admit to him that you're a sinner. And as best as you know how in prayer, talking to God, ask him to save you from yourself and forgive you of your sins. According to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've never made that decision, that's your first step. If you've got questions about that, you come down front, ask me about it. We'll get you Dr. Jackson or we'll get you a deacon. We'll get you a staff member, someone to help walk through that or come see me after the service. If you've already made that decision, though, I would ask that you walk out of this church building today Realizing that you're sent with your fuse lit and don't be a dud. Don't fizzle out because God has lit in the fuse. It's our job to carry that message everywhere we go. Would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and, and sing. And after, or as we sing, 
This altar is open. If you need to pray for someone, if you need to pray for yourself, if you need to recommit yourself to, to blotching off, to blasting off for the mission Jesus has called you to, if you need to talk to someone about what it means to become a Christian, to take the next step, whatever it is. That's why we're here. That's why we have this time of commitment. It's to allow you the opportunity to make commitments or to seek out what it means to make your next step for Jesus. So, Father, as we place ourselves before you today, we're thankful that you called Paul and Barnabas to take that gospel across the Mediterranean Sea to Cyprus. Eventually, that gospel got to this place where we're setting today. It got to Milton, Florida, because Paul and Barnabas answered this call. And we're able to hear the gospel today because someone made a decision to be faithful with this calling that you've given your people. I pray, Father, that if we walked into this room today and our fuse was not lit, I pray your Holy Spirit has rekindled our passion. I pray that we would walk out of here committed to not fizzle out this week, but to use every day of our lives for your name's glory and your fame. And Father, I pray if there's someone in this room today and they don't know you as a Savior, they have yet to confess their sins, repent, and ask you to save them. I pray today they would call out to you. For those who come unto you, you will in no wise cast out. Have your will and your way in our lives today. In this moment, may we do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.